Matt Whitaker, former U.S. Acting Attorney General. This is such a great conversation about America, our future, what's going to save our republic. We have a great football player. Matt Whitaker is here. Matt. They tried to bury me. They didn't realize I was a C. Former Acting U.S. Attorney General. Under President Trump. I'm going to be an unwavering supporter of law enforcement. Welcome to Liberty and Justice with your host, Matt Whitaker. Welcome to Liberty and Justice, Season 3, presented by American Cornerstone Institute. My guest this week is a good friend and uh, great U.S. Senator Eric Schmidt from Missouri. How are you, Eric? I'm good. I feel like um, I think this is my third time on, so I, I, uh, I feel very blessed about that. And then also, we could probably do a whole show on the success of Mizzou football, the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, and then the Cardinals now in spring training. And I know we yeah. share love for a couple of those things. but uh, Well, you just wait. I, the Cardinals is the last thing I want to talk about, and I've made the most time for that. So okay, good, good. We'll get to that. But this is the first time. You have been on this show a couple times. Um, first time as a sitting U.S. Senator. So, yeah. Um, I'm excited uh, that we got you over uh, easily over the goal line. And, yeah, right. Uh, we called the we called it the Whitaker bump after the right. endorsement, and uh, the rest is history. So we appreciate it. As soon as I got involved in your uh, effort, it was uh, all downhill. So I guess you know the first thing I'd like to ask, and you know this is something that uh, I don't know how you're going to answer this, but what? How do you like being a senator? I mean, how it's from the outside looking in, it looks very frustrating. But I'd love to hear. How you're finding it? Well, on a, on a personal level, um, it's you know the honor of a lifetime, right? I grew up in a in a blue collar neighborhood. You've met my my parents. Um, yep. I was the first person in in my family to go to college out of high school. Um, I didn't know any lawyers growing up, so to be the attorney general of the state of Missouri, you know, I was I was honored to be able to have that job. And then for the voters of Missouri to send me here. And to stand at the, you know, the desk that Harry Truman occupied and, you know, all these people, it's, it's on a personal level, it's not lost on me how unique the opportunity is. But I think you always have to keep in mind why you're here, who you represent and what your, your mission is. And so um, I'm the same guy and going to fight for the things that I believe in. And um, so in, on that front, so on a personal level, uh, it's just an incredible thing. And I'm very grateful and, and humbled by it. You know, when you get here, uh, what's the line? It's like you get here and you, the first six months, you you look around and you say, how did I get here? And then after that, you say, how did these other people get here? There's probably a little bit, of that, some of that. But the truth is, it's a, uh, it's supposed to be a place where, you know, 100 people from diverse backgrounds come from very different states and, and debate the important issues of our time. And I still hold out belief the Senate can be that. That's not how Chuck Schumer runs the floor. I mean, there's very few vehicles. We talk about, you know, we're always, you know, talking about this sort of deadline drama, political. It's 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 because Chuck Schumer likes to control everything and unveil, like, you know, an omnibus at midnight and say you either support this or you support a government shutdown. It's a false choice. So I think one of the things I've tried to do with other with other members is to fight for reform, right? To make sure that that individual senators can be heard, that we have 12 appropriations bills that can be amended. And I may win some, I may lose some, but I think that's like important for the process, right? It's mm-hmm. supposed to be the, the world's greatest deliberative body, but that doesn't happen very often on the Senate floor. But, you know, the committees I'm on, Armed Services, obviously a really important committee. 
um, enjoying the work there. The Commerce Committee, which has jurisdiction over about 50% of the economy. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting issues there, including some big tech stuff, which we may, may want to talk about. But uh, again, honorable lifetime. And I'm just, you know, you and I share that kind of that kind of work ethic. I just, you know, we're going to leave it all out on the field and do everything I can to represent my state. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I mean, having come from not a family dynasty and really, you know, being just a, a true man of the people, you know, you are still connected. You know, you're you're really no different the day before the election than you are now. You're just, you know, representing your friends and neighbors and your fellow citizens in Missouri. And I'm sure uh, that they're strongly opinionated if they're anything like my friends back in Iowa. They, you know, tell you what they think and what you should be working on. But, you know, how do you explain when, you know, when, when, when they hear about kind of that ridiculous kind of Ukraine funding border bill that, you know, you have no time to read and you got to vote on, or you're, uh, you know, not only a, a, a Nazi and a pro-Russia stooge, I mean, how, 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 do you, how do you like say, you know, this is uh, not regular order, this isn't how it works, and, you know, I, I'm going to stick to kind of my priorities and the things that I, you know, hold true and, and the values that we all share. Well, what you're touching on is a perspective I try to bring in our, uh, in our conference, which is a real connection, you know, having just run and, you know, I, I ran statewide in Missouri three times in six years. So I had the AG race, of course, and then the Senate race. And so when you do that in a state like Missouri, and, and you spend some time, right? There, it's yeah. you know when you're in Southeast Missouri, it, it, there's some different issues than in Southwest Missouri, in St. Louis and Kansas City, in a state like Missouri that's that kind of regionally has that kind of regional diversity. You learn a lot, and you take what people tell you at home here. And I go back, you know, every, I'm back home every weekend. My my family's in Missouri, and so I, I think that's important to stay really connected there. But there is a real disconnect between the conversations oftentimes in Washington, D.C. and the conversations in Missouri. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the, the most stark example is, you know, uh, people don't understand, rightfully so, how we could be the most important thing here is to send $61 billion to Ukraine on top of the $112 billion we've already spent on top of what they're saying might be another $100 billion with no real plan how that's the biggest priority, but not securing our own southern border. That is, I can't think of a bigger disconnect that's going on right now in our politics. And so that's one of the reasons why I didn't support that. And this whole idea uh, at the border, look, Joe Biden has every authority he needs right now under existing law to have a secure border. We did it under President Trump. I know you were you know, a member of that administration, but, yeah. you know, if he stopped abusing parole, which is supposed to be individualized adjudications, he's just letting people because they're from a certain country. That's illegal. He's not supposed to be able to do that. He's doing it. Remain in Mexico was very effective. It made Mexico the waiting room. The cartels knew that they couldn't just get somebody across the border. And then, you know, their deliverable was they're just released into the interior of the United States with a court date sometime in the 2030s. I mean, think about that. So you've got 9 million people here now illegally. You're starting to see... Um, you know, the uptick in crime because of that, right? Um, with yep. some of these high-profile murders, which are tragic, but also just the fentanyl that's streaming across. So people, they don't, and it's a national security risk. And I think it is telling that Joe Biden on day one undid those successes. I mean, at, in December of 2020, when President Trump was leaving office, we had the lowest level of illegal immigration we'd seen in 40 years. Now we have record high numbers. It's no accident. But they're the party of open borders. That, Matt, I think they just really believe 
that these lines on a map are arbitrary and we're all global mm -hmm. citizens and everybody should be able to come across here and we shouldn't ask a lot of questions and we shouldn't be deporting anyone. That's what they really believe. And so I think when people tell you that, you should believe them. And uh, that's where we're at right now as a country. And so this issue, as you've seen now with polling, is the number one issue. People see it and the Democrats are in denial and they're trying to gaslight people saying Republicans didn't want to do X, Y, or Z. I was pretty consistent in that debate because as Attorney General of Missouri, we litigated against the Biden administration on Remain in Mexico, on Title 42. We had some wins for a while, but it is not in their DNA to want to secure the border. So we're at where we're at. Yeah, and I was with uh, my friend, former DHS Secretary Chad Wolf, recently um, from America First Policy Institute, and, and we came up with at least eight authorities that the Biden administration isn't using, that are already in the law, that they could use, that we used effectively, to your point, in the Trump administration. And I continue to wonder uh, why uh, they don't want to, you know, they keep saying that we need Congress to help. You really don't. You don't You're need another law uh, in order to get the, and again we we went through all of this before um with the where we at legally on all these authorities and they've previously passed congress so i'll uh, i'll make sure i get you a copy of that to over your yeah, team yeah please but do it's, yeah they, they don't really they they're not enforcing existing law um are there some things that we could do sure but that that is de that's the and by the way that bill that was proposed um, didn't do that. It took us backwards. It actually created an express lane for illegal immigration through these asylum agents at the border who could confer essentially citizenship right there. And yeah. outside of the judicial process, it took Texas away from having jurisdiction over these matters in court, which is nuts. It sent it to the D.C. Circuit. There's a lot of reasons why that was a bad bill. Um, but I, I, I try to use this as an example. I used it on the Senate floor when we were, you know, filibustering it. All you need to know about the Biden administration on it is could be encapsulated in something which was President Trump had called Operation Talon. Operation Talon was an effort to deport previously convicted sex offenders who were here illegally. Now, you would think it even in this that should be a bipartisan issue that ought to be something we can agree on. But that was too much for Joe Biden and his team. They they eliminated the program. So. It's just a glimpse inside, you know, behind the curtain of what these people really believe. And you've got now these op the open borders crowd populating positions of power, including in the White House, who used to write white papers on this stuff, are actually now doing it. And the consequences are playing out in real time. Yeah. Any, any prediction how it ultimately all plays out? Uh, what's going what's gonna to happen with uh, not only the border, uh, but, I mean, obviously – the answer is a 2024 election yeah. and a referendum on Joe Biden. But, you know, what's going to happen with Ukraine funding? What's going to happen with uh, Israel funding? What's going to happen with all these issues that, I mean, again, are to we're told are the priorities, but, you know, I'm not sure that working moms and dads actually feel those are the priorities. Yeah, I've not had anybody come to, to me in Missouri and say, hey, Eric, you know, the, the most important thing you can do up there is to secure another $61 billion for Ukraine right now. Mm -hmm. Now, that isn't to say that these are not important debates, which is why I've argued that they all should be treated separately, right? The appropriations bills should be individual appropriations bills. A Ukraine issue should be separate from the Israel issue. I mean, the truth is the Israel funding is being held hostage to this Ukraine because of this obsession by some to tie everything together to, to give Ukraine the most leverage for all that money. Mm -hmm. And one of the real frustrating things is that many of us have said, first of all, let's separate it. They've said, no, okay, let's have more accountability because we know there's corruption happening with the money. No, we can't do that. 
Let's make sure it's, you know, it's dependent on the numbers coming down at the border. No, we can't do that. Let's make sure our European allies, if it's such an existential threat, you would think countries like Germany would be meeting their 2% of GDP mark. They're not doing that. So every which way we go to try to add some accountability here and advocate for Americans and American taxpayers has just been thwarted. So it's a very weird scenario, I'll be honest with you, um, yeah. uh, as it relates to Ukraine specifically. But, but as it relates to the border, Joe Biden... It'll be interesting. I mean, he could very well, there's some rumor that before the State of the Union, he may announce some executive order. I, I think he's going down to the border this week uh, for a photo op. I mean, he understands what a disaster it is for him, not just for Americans, but for him politically. But I don't believe the energy on the left, the same you know, energy of the leftists in the Democrat Party that are making him pivot away from Israel will yeah. never allow him to actually have a secure border because they just don't believe in that. Uh, for a variety of reasons, and we could talk about why. I mean, one of the things that uh, Senator Haggerty has talked about specifically is, look, uh, you don't need to be a citizen to be counted in the census. And in 2030, you know, we'll be here before we know it. And and so there's a lot of problems yeah. with all of this. It, it also supports, you know, to, to, to some extent, it also supports the slowing down economy you know if you add an extra 10 million people yeah consuming uh you know goods and services uh that obviously bumps up your economy in hopes that you know that, that the economy because of fed tightening doesn't you know slow down well look a, at housing housing is the same way yeah. right you're gonna have and um and you know for a younger person with all this ridiculous stuff for you know absolving student loan debt which is uh, again a, a cynical election ploy by biden because he knows he's in trouble those are the same voters, by the way, those younger voters who can't afford a house now because it's twice as expensive because interest rates have gone up that much since Joe Biden took office. So all of this stuff, I think the, the reckoning is coming when people compare the record under President Trump. You know, we had a secure border. We were energy dominant. People were making more money than they ever were before. We didn't have foreign wars. Compared to now, where we don't have any of that. We're not energy dominant. We had, don't have a secure border. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of problems. And I think when the people can hear that, I think that's why uh, President Trump's well positioned in November. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, big tech, because I know when you were attorney general in Missouri, you know, you 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 combated uh, a lot of what they were doing. Um, and I know some of those cases are coming to fruition. But what you know, where where is the regulatory scheme? Where's the appetite in the Senate to do something on paring back the power of big tech, because I think, you know, based on just an ordinary American's reading of this, it's it's uh, it's threatening to, to say the least, especially powered by artificial intelligence and, and what that could do um, as a force for uh, evil. So, yeah. what, what what are you working on there in the Senate to pare some of those things back? So, one of the real priorities I have here is, is, is a bit of a continuation from my time as Attorney General, which is taking on the administrative state, right? These agencies have way too much power, too much control over people's lives. People don't even know who these folks are. They've never heard of the agency, but can, you know, take out their business or their livelihood or their freedoms. So, as AG, we had big wins. We won on the vaccine mandate. That was our case. We won on the student loan debt case. We won on that. Uh, but perhaps the case I'm, you know, most proud of is this fight for the First Amendment, this Missouri versus Biden lawsuit that we filed, that really when we filed it, we were able to get discovery, meaning we got emails and documents before we got the preliminary injunction. We got, a, we got an injunction from a judge who called this Orwellian scheme by the Biden administration to censor Americans. And so what we found was shocking, really. 
I mean, we had some idea because you had people like Jen Psaki standing at the podium saying, we're flagging these posts for Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, really drowning out any dissent, whether it was COVID or Hunter Biden laptop, those are the or origins of COVID. And it was on a scale we've never seen before in this country. So if it wasn't for that lawsuit and that discovery, it wasn't for Elon Musk buying Twitter, which is now X, all this stuff would still be in the dark. And you'd be called a conspiracy theorist if you were talking about this vast censorship enterprise which developed. So it's scary stuff. And and um, I've told people, like, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or anything in between. This kind of government control over what you can say or hear or think is scary. Like, it's very scary stuff. It is truly Orwellian. And so that lawsuit will be heard um, uh, at the Supreme Court in mid-March. Um, so next month, and then, you know, of course, there'll, there'll be a ruling on it in, uh, in the summer about uh, ultimately the government's role in coercing these big tech companies. Some of them were willing accomplices, but also you had the government, and you know the power of the federal government. Oh, yeah. they, they were threatening legal action, investigations, antitrust, all kinds of stuff to get them in line to censor more. And that's the, the heart of the case and what will be heard next month. Yeah, that'll, that'll be fun to watch uh, that hearing in front of the Supreme Court and see how those justices sh- shake out. Um, well, you know, last year you and I were able to go to a Cardinals game together. Um, this year we need to figure out a time on the calendar when we can uh, do that as well. I, uh, you know, uh, I always love going to uh, Bush Stadium in St. Louis, but uh, if we both find ourselves in Washington, D.C., I think the Cardinals are here for four games right yeah. after July 4th. So. Either way, we'll have to grab one of those games and uh, celebrate it. But what what do you uh, what? I know spring training's just started. I've uh, been trying to catch a few of the games uh, as I can. But what what are your what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, on the an optimism for this upcoming season. Well, yeah, because last year was. I mean, you know, I, we're used to the Cardinals being a perennial, like you know top four or five team in the hunt for the World Series. That At was least not competitive. Last year. Yeah, <laughs> not last year. So it was a bit of a shock. I think uh, it was, you know, they finished last, and it was the first time in like a generation. So it was a, it was rough year. I think the biggest issue last year was reliability of their starting pitching. Mm-hmm. So they went out and got some reliable starters. They, Sonny Gray is a legit number one. Um, he finished second in the Cy Young. I mean, his numbers, um, you know, his wins above replacement. You can stack him up against anybody. He's a legit number one. Um, they went out and got Lance Lynn, who used to be a Cardinals coming back. Yep. So they've done a lot to sort of solidify that rotation. Um, I'd still like to see them get another front of the rotation starter for a potential playoff run. But the Cardinals have always been good, as you know, of kind of some of those deadline deals. When you get closer to the trade deadline, uh, they were able to do that a couple of years ago and make a run. But the lineup is is solid. I mean, anytime you have Goldschmidt and Arenado right in the middle of that Contreras really in the second half of the year coming in following up Yadier Molina's catchers no small task but kind of came into his own and then you know some of the younger players Jordan Walker's a superstar in the making making they got Mason winning shortstop so they've got a good mix of veterans and younger players you know position players so I think their offense is going to be fine and they've restacked that bullpen and I think now with the with MLB being more like a tournament you know it's expanded so much the playoffs what, you know, the, the formula is, you mean the Dodgers are, you know, they have a behemoth salary and signed like everybody. Um, but the truth is, those teams typically, at least in recent memory, don't end up holding the trophy at the end of the season. So you got to get into the tournament. And I think the recipe is you got to have at least one 
frontal rotation starter that can match up against anybody's ace and then have a bunch of, you know, arms that throw heat in the bullpen. And I think that's the recipe they're trying to to get in place. So I feel good about it. I'm excited. And they and there's also, I would say, a sense of urgency now with this organization that they may not have had because they've been so successful. Last year was a real wake-up call. Uh, and Cardinal fans are great fans and show up in over $3 million every year. But, you know, you can't have a year like last year again if you're the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, you can't have. Can't have that two years in a row. Tell, by the like way, there's... you can tell what I'm really passionate about, right? <laughs> so. uh, that's there's, It's good to be passionate about it. And I'm sorry. We're out of time, Eric. We're not going to be able to talk about Mizzou football uh, and the SEC. I know maybe we'll save that for the next time. Well, like a fall uh, we, preview. We on the show. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thanks for joining me again on Liberty and Justice. And remember, everything I'm doing can be found at Whitaker.tv. Until next time, see you soon. Liberty and Justice.